Welcome back. Here we are back at the home offices of Decibel Wines and the Vintage Story Podcast. Did another great podcast today. Uh, I'll talk about probably in the closing, but um, today's podcast is with Tony Bish, legendary Hawks Bay winemaker and somebody who's just, he's been in it, man. He's been doing it for a while. Started up Sacred Hill, one of the most iconic brands in New Zealand, uh, let alone Hawks Bay is, you know, so many people you talk to, including, you know, the winemaker I work with on a pretty regular basis have worked in that place and come through that place. Um, Really, really great wines and sort of run the gamut of great Chardonnay, great Syrah, red blends and everything. And uh, the Tony story today is just really, really cool. Very Kiwi in its um, origins, uh, sort of came out of nothing. Him and a buddy, him not really knowing where to go, what to do, and just decided to go for it. And I think that's where you hear so many New Zealand stories come from is let's just give it a try. And, and they do a good job here. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. Um, I thought what I might do from now on, uh, it, especially to some of the people that are listening overseas, is to talk about some of the wines that I've drank in the last week, uh, or maybe even tonight, maybe even right now. I just wanted to mention I had uh, a 2013 Cab Franc from Zaria Wines that uh, my buddy Bryce had given me. I think he had it under a different label or something because he may have not labeled that wine. He sort of just started that brand, and they're awesome wines. And man, Cab Franc in Hawke's Bay, pretty awesome. A lot of potential there. Great year for it, too. I mean, 13, but geez, well done, Bryce. Thanks, buddy. And tonight with some burgers, we opened up a Trinity Hill, the Trinity. Uh, talk about an iconic brand, Trinity Hill is right there with Sacred Hill, just a couple hills over, I guess. Great wine, perfect with burger, cut through that meat. We really enjoyed it with the family tonight. So, yeah, you know, those are wines that aren't that expensive, and they're really, really representative of the region. So I suggest, you know, check them out from those people overseas and some of your local people. Those are probably two wines. I mean, the Trinity you can find around, but it'll surprise you. I had the 14 and it was just banging, man. It was just right on Merlot. It didn't really say on the label what all was in it. I tasted like Cab Sab, maybe Malbec in there. Uh, It was really good. So, yeah, I think I'm going to start trying to mention different wines that I drink just to get people's heads around stuff I'm doing and stuff I'm tasting and what I think why not you know try some new stuff I was up in Auckland this past week and Jesus what a freaking great wine market that's turning into you you know the the vibrancy is palpable even in the middle of winter people restaurants you can just feel the confidence in their eyes and their tasting and like yep we want that we like that so hopefully you guys uh, if anybody's listening up in Auckland, you get to see a few more decibel wines up that way. We're going to work hard on that. But um, yeah, man, just exciting. Into different wines, liking some Viognier, Malbec, things like that. So um, yeah, I hope. Uh, I 
think if if you're traveling it, I mean, it makes sense. The whole thing makes sense. If you're, it is the hub that everybody travels in when they come to New Zealand. Some people just hang there and they go to Wahiki and things like that. So the restaurant scene has just grown uh, exponentially from that. And you know, you just have these regions like Ponsonby and Britomart and K Road, and there's just restaurants popping up, popping up. But I was even over in Half Moon Bay, and there was, which is a gorgeous kind of suburb. Out on the water, there was docks, there was restaurants out there. Um, yeah, you can see why there's a housing crisis. It's a pretty cool place to live. And, you know, even out in those suburb areas, we just popped into one cafe for breakfast. It was amazing. It was awesome quality of food. They had a good little wine list. Uh, I mean, it was the morning time. I wasn't drinking. But uh, you could tell this would be a good place to grab lunch any day of the week. So those folks coming in, you could see why they would just hang in Auckland for a little while. And you could also see why that, that region is just booming. Uh, and you could also see why the rest of New Zealand gets annoyed with them because um, it's traffic, busy, you know, they've, there's a lot of money up there, I will just say that. So that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, getting back to... Oh, no, I did want to mention that I think on Friday... There's still some tickets available for the Falk event that I'm doing with Pippi Restaurant out at their home, sort of a little bit south of Hawks Bay. I know the Saturday lunch is sold out, but I think there's a few tickets left for Friday. So if anybody's looking for something cool to do, considering the prices of some of these Falk events, um, this one's pretty cool because you get a book. I think it's like 100, 100 some bucks, but you get a $65 great cookbook just for going and paying your ticket and that's uh, the Pippi at home book we have the first Pippi cookbook which was really really cool it's just all these great local recipes and stuff they use uh, to make some great fresh food that comes out of Pippi and uh, which is a great little restaurant in Avlock North a bit of a staple here in Hawks Bay and Alex and Chris are just awesome people so not only do I know the food's going to be good, but they're cool. Their house is very stylish. They're just interesting, artistic, hardworking people. So, uh, uh, you know, if you got Friday lunch open and you're thinking of something to do or you're traveling through the area, hop on that. Just go to the Falk, F-A-W-C, website, and you'll be able to get tickets through there. In fact, I think that's where you have to get tickets. Maybe Event Finder as well, but or Finda as well. Um, besides that... Yes, decibelwines.com, always sponsored by that. You can go to the website and find uh, stores for the U.S., Australia, the U.K., and just use the promo code DBPODCAST, for all in caps, I think you have to put it, but it might just make you do that automatically, to get 10% off your first order. I mean, what a nice guy. Isn't that great? Uh, but yeah, this is our, my conversation with Tony Bish, great guy. Uh, there's not much more I can say because he tells a story, uh, and now it's all leading up to this new project he's doing, which is exciting, not just for him, but for Hawks Bay. He's got this cool urban winery. He's doing some great stuff with concrete eggs and really pushing the envelope for somebody to just see the passion just still pumping through his veins. It's, it's cool, man, and it's just a great conversation, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy it.
thanks for coming out. Well, good. Bit of commute for you. Where do you live now? You just Napier said, Hill. You li- oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a good area. An old house for a long time, yeah. Um, yeah, Napier's a neat place. We've thought about there, but then this opportunity came up here and, you know, it's too good to pass up. But uh, that's probably, yeah, like I said before, I'm not sure I would live in downtown Hastings. No, but, uh, but, no. Uh, but And Mara loves Havelock because it seems like every house up there has got a gorgeous view and a gorgeous garden. And yeah. You kind of feel like you're getting the Hawks Bay experience up there. Yeah, it's yeah. like that. And we're elevated and, and it's frost free and uh, you know, subtropical things grow there. So the garden's yeah. amazing and yeah. avocados and fijos and uh, yeah, good vegetables and things. But for us, we uh, we had four kids. So being close to uh, the school was pretty handy. Mm. Um, we walk the kids to school. Um, otherwise, you know, one of us would be a taxi driver, you know, pretty much full on. So we're kind of doing that yeah. now and that's only to daycare. But yeah. Uh, I have friends with older kids who are like, I'm like, man, you guys got full time jobs just running, mm. running around. It but, gets pretty intense, yeah. But uh, anyway, like I was saying earlier, kind of focusing this on uh, Hawks Bay a little more, and uh, I sort of had a short list of people I wanted to talk to, and you were right at at the top there. Just not only because uh, you're a good speaker, and I've seen you random tastings and stuff over the years, but uh, you're a well known good winemaker, and we have some mutual buddies uh, who. I know I've worked with you out in the field, like old um, Veronica is now in, yep. in, in, uh, in Bordeaux. And uh, yeah, just always heard good things over the years. And then obviously we see each other in the winery, but it's always been in like kind of passing. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. hey, what's up, dude? Ships you know, in the night. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. See you later. Um, you stealing some more juice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, the uh, I've always found, you know, when we, I sit down and do these things, there's a bunch of things that I... I find out about people or a little more about their story. And uh, I, I try not to do much research other than, you know, certainly at this stage where I'm talking to people that I'm somewhat familiar with, but mm. I really don't know your background other than you've been, the you know, we're winemaker Sacred Hill for a long time. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Where did it, so where did it start for you? you I know. And oh, look, it's funny. It started really randomly for me, to be honest. I, I, um, I confess to being um, a failed uni student um, having you know left school and kind of been corralled into doing some professional degree thing as you were by your parents in those days and so for some stupid reason enrolled in law which I, I found myself on the wrong side of more frequently than not <laughs> so I realized after a couple of years this really wasn't a go so um, I bailed out and uh, when I lived on a beach in Gisborne with my girlfriend who was from from Gisborne and Gisborne for those who don't know has beautiful beaches and um, just sort of hung out camping on the on a surf beach and chilling, you know, and I uh, had a wonderful summer, but you know, the money ran out of course. And, um, at the end of that sort of thought, Oh, well, you know, I wanted to go skiing and, um, needed to get a job. And the local guy said, well, you know, you, there's two options here in Gisborne. You can either work in the freezing works or in a winery. <laughs> thought, well, option one wasn't very palatable to no, me. No. And option two, I had no idea about, but didn't sound too bad. So I, um, pretty much lied my way into a job in a, in a lab. Um, claiming to have proficiencies I did not have at all mm. um, just to get into a, a you know a lab position there and um, and worked alongside a winemaker who was very tolerant and um, figured out pretty quickly I knew nothing and but was prepared to um, cut me some slack and teach me and and I, I can be a quick learner so I soon became a night shift uh, lab manager and, and that was one of the was that like a big production yeah there? it was Corbin's yeah mm. in, in 1981 and and in those days and in, um, in New Zealand and Corbin's would have been indicative of, of many places 
It was hybrid varieties. It was, I think, 70% of our crush was Molotugo. Yeah. And uh, red was, you know, Baco 22A, well, you know. I'm not sure. What, what the hell is, is that? You know, <laughs> uh, Palomino. You know, Sherry Base. So it was. Um, it was a different. Uh, the end of that era was pretty. It was sort of on us, and and the new era was just dawning. Where you know, I think Chardonnay was the hot new thing. Yeah. And the, you know there was like one or two trucks of Chardonnay and and a you know in a six thousand ton vintage. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all the winemakers would jump up and leap around going, "Oh, it's Chardonnay!" You know, yeah, and I'm yeah. going, "What the hell is that?" You know. Um, <laughs> And um, and so it was interesting, and you know the, there was penal rates in the in New, in New Zealand back in the day for overtime, and it was twelve hours seven days a week, hmm. so actually earned a lot of money, and um, so I got skiing, which is my yeah, other, there you great go. love. So <laughs> so yeah, went down the South Island and spent a winter skiing at Methven, I ran out of money again, and worked summer job and did another vintage. Met Richard Brimmer. Um, one of my closest friends yeah, I, today. I only just heard that recently. That I think from Jace that uh, he was like, "Oh yeah, he used to work at Sacred." With him. Yeah, like, Vitals. No this idea. is back in the day, way before Sacred started. So, yeah. 1982, we met at Vitals, and we did three vintages together at, at Vitals, 82, 83, 84, and um, and along that way, I kind of figured out that this was an industry that was really changing fast um, into premium European varietals um, with clearly. Good potential, you know, really, um, you know, pristine fruit, uh, great flavors, um, and I kind of fell in love with wine accidentally, mm. you know, while while trying to maintain my skiing habit, and um, and so I decided that near the end of that period to enroll in a university in Australia because New Zealand had none yep. uh, for wine um, at that time. So went to Charles Sturt University and spent six years commuting to um, residential oh. schools. So they um, wouldn't let you, I guess, yeah, it wasn't a time. Oh, no, I could have could, done full time, but... Um, no, I mean, I mean you, yeah. it wasn't like a time where you could study from here. No, to, yeah, no, yeah, you had to just, go over there yeah. twice a year. But, but for me, that was fun. It was, yeah. uh, you know, I moved from uh, Hawke's Bay down to um, to Central Otago and did a lot of pioneering down down there with winemaking and, and getting out of Wanaka to fly to... Uh, Sydney, and then catch a train to Wagga Wagga. Luxurious, you know, yeah. And then, then go yeah. out through Melbourne, you know, with friends in both big cities, and um, and then check out some wine bars and and a bit of a bit of culture um, was was quite good. I did mm. that twice a year for six years. Cool. And uh, I enjoyed that process. And at, at res school, when you're doing correspondence, your peer group is quite different from you know from from a graduate sort of full time perspective because they tend to be mature age. I mean, I think I was 24 when I started, and I was one of the younger ones. Yeah, it's better um, that way. That, too. Yeah, it yeah. was good. They, they they tended to be people from winemaking families um, or wine businesses that that were already been in the industry a long time and had decided to pursue qualification. So there was a a level of uh, knowledge, commitment, experience, and passion. Um, that you don't get with school leavers going to university. I, I don't know how you know? we we had yeah. a few when I came to school here, and it was. Surprisingly, a few did last. I mean, there was a couple exceptions, like Chris, who's at Atarangi now. Yeah. Like, he's a special guy. He was, like, growing Pinot when he was, like, 15 or something, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but outside of that, you were like, these guys are going to drop, like, flies, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, wh why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. you would want to go see the world. And, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, uh, it's, oh, it's almost like I had a friend who was studying to be a midwife, and she realized, like, she was, like, 19. She's like, what am I going to tell some <laughs> 35-year-old <laughs> woman how to do this, you know? And I have no life experience myself. Yeah, and it was yeah. similar in, in wine, too. You got to go out and taste wine. Got to go out and, and taste wine. Live life a little bit, you yeah. know? Yeah, 
Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's sort of kind of how it all started anyway. And uh, and then, of course, once you get into wine, there's no going back. No. Yeah, it's, no. Uh, it's a journey that lasts your lifetime. <laughs> yeah. And uh, did you do traveling up north a bit around that? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I went to Bordeaux and Burgundy and traveled around Europe. Uh, actually, I hitchhiked, good old days. I hitchhiked around uh, yep. Spain, France, uh, Italy, Germany. Um, I worked a, a year at um, Brown Brothers in Australia mm-hmm. where they made, I think, even back then in 85, 22 different varieties of wine would come in. Um, so they were really pioneering uh, alternate varieties, you know, way back then. What's, yeah, yeah I mean, for... Uh, uh, one of the advantages of doing this and being an expat is like I don't have that history to know like brands mm. or th- what people were doing back then and without uh, asking about it. And I, I've, I, you know, you see like Brown Brothers in the in the supermarket and stuff, but then also I hear inklings of like, no, those guys have some really premium stuff. They do, and they, and they yeah. have some pioneering stuff. They, too. they they were they're an innovative family. That very much a family business, even though they were quite a big um, mm. Australian winery. But um, you know, the, one of the brothers is a viticulturist, and one was in marketing, and, and one was the the, the, uh, the winemaker <laughs> and um, and general manager. So you know, it was a tight family um, unit. Um, yeah, they were they were pioneers in uh, trying alternate varieties. Um, and, Where are they and, based? Uh, in um, in Millerwall, which is uh, uh, northeast Victoria, um, and and they would. They not they developed some cooler valley like King Valley. They they're one of the first people to sort of saying, okay, well the hot regions are all very well, but hey, we need some flavour from some of these uh, new varieties. So let's seek out some cooler sites, mm. which at the time was innovative thinking. Um, and so they developed some some yeah some cool site terrains. Um, their marketing was pretty good, um, and they were like a household name in Australia. Brown Brothers is uh, you know they're, they're a big. Yeah, you know, big brand over there, but they they never stopped um, trying different things. And and I think I heard uh, just after I left, they in fact put in what they called a kindergarten winery, um, which was basically acknowledging that if you're trying to do you know fine wine um, and innovative um, parcels, it's smashing it through a big winery doesn't really mm. do it justice. So they built a small winery within the big winery. And kitted it out with you know basket press and and small destemmer, that's um, cool. And small pumps and you know inch mm. hoses or inch and a half hoses and and kind of went 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 into that small winery mentality uh, under the under the roof of the of the big cellar, which <laughs> I thought the, at the time was just, that's a real commitment to, yeah. to pursuing quality and excellence and and for the winemakers it must have been like you know, a dream. Yeah, you know, yeah, to, it's so cool. To not be compromised and trying to make fine wine, um, you know, with large with large, you know, capacity equipment. Mm. So yeah, they were they were good. They were, it was a good learning experience. Mm. And then uh when did the Sacred Hill days sort of start? Well that started just after that. So I ran into an old school friend, you know, Mark Mason, um, at a party in Sydney. And we hadn't <laughs> yeah, and we hadn't met since school, you know, so I guess six years or something we really hadn't um crossed paths at all um and he was doing the wine marketing degree at roseworthy and i was doing the wine making at um, charles sturt university and was like whoa that's random that you met someone mm. you know that was actually in the same industry because that was pretty uncommon yeah from all on those another country yeah, yeah. Too. yeah we were like the weirdos so yeah. um so I ran into Mac, and he was working at a, at a Len Evans wine bar. And Len Evans is a, a, was an icon of the Australian wine industry, a fabulous wine reviewer, writer, and uh, personality. And he had this wine bar in Sydney. So 
you know, every nightmare could come home with all of the, um, you know, the leftover bits out of the bottles, you know, um, which wouldn't keep to the next day for glass pour. Uh, and we'd go through, you know, 10 or 12 wines every night from all over Australia, you know, aged um, semions, you know, mm. Hunter River Riesling, as they used to call it, um, um, aged Syrahs, you know, old wine stuff, um, Grenache, you know, Mouvergera, um, you know, fantastic wines from all over Australia. And so that actually accelerated my, uh, I guess, my understanding of diversity of, of winemaking styles in Australia and, um, and, and just, yeah, just fun. It was just good fun. Yeah, it yeah. good times. Um, and he kind of said, well, you know, yeah, winemakers all like, you know, working in your clean lab coats and stuff, but you need to get your hands dirty and your feet in the mud. So would you like to come back and work in the family vineyard in Hawke's Bay? And um, I said, yeah, I'd love to. I you know, loved Hawke's Bay from my time here at Vitals and thought, well, that'd be good. So came back in summer 85 um, to work in the Dartmoor Vineyard, which is still there today. And, um, you know, t- Matt, Matt came back and worked alongside and uh, typical uh, of the day, you know, I think we're getting five bucks an hour or something. It was, the pay was just dreadful. And uh, we'd developed quite an expensive taste of wine by this stage, so it wasn't really adding up. <laughs> Said to Mac after about three months, mate, you know, I can't even afford to drink beer, let alone any good wine anymore. So, you know, what are we going to do? So we cooked up this plan to um, buy some grapes, and um, we must have been pretty much one of the first virtual winemaking entities in New Zealand, I think. Um, so we bought grapes off Mary Road, which has now become Gimlet Gravels, um, Sauvignon Blanc, um, we, we, of course, that's we, where we, you were growing. The we drove the truck to Auckland, <laughs> <laughs> to Cooper's Creek Winery, and uh, and tipped our, our precious load of uh, of, uh, of grapes into their receiver bin. And um, Mark had been through Rosewood at the same time as Mike Brankovich from Kumi River, and so Mike Michael kindly agreed to do some barrel ferment for us. So some was tank ferment and some was barrel ferment. And we made uh, a classic sort of New Zealand take on Robert Mondavi's Fumé Blanc. Yeah, sure. You sure. know, which was a big wine. Because he days. had a relationship with Mondavi by then already, didn't he? Yeah. Like, Kimmy Rivers. Yeah, like, Kimmy River did, yeah. yeah. Uh, Brakovich is one of the first people I ever read about That's from right. New Zealand. And the, I mean, almost tied into some California stuff too. Yes, it did. And we could see that we could we could um, you have a crack at a, at a barrel fermented style of Sauvignon. Um, you know, this is really before Marlborough took off or mm. became what it is today certainly it was very early days down there so yeah we made this um one parcel i think 350 dozen of fumé blanc and um and 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 created a brand name out of our nearest pub and village pukitapu which means um sacred hill the puki is hill and tapu sacred um and that's you know classic kiwi um one horse town you know yeah. one, one shop one pub one fuel station and one church and it's got the feel. To, I drive through it there quite a bit. It's yeah, the same. it's the same. And it, you know yeah. what's so cool about that is it's still like on a Saturday or Sunday. Like, you know, you get all the people passing through and hanging out and grabbing a beer and having yeah. a chat. It's just, yeah, that's it's a brilliant a, atmosphere. Yeah, that was our local. So that that was the that was the launch of it really. And um, we 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 thanks to the Cooper's Creek guys and um, and Mike Brankovich, the the wine was actually particularly good. Mm. Um, we don't take much credit for that, but um, it, it happened. And when we went to to market it, we met a couple of distributors, and I think the second guy we talked to, and um, he pretty much rocked him on his chair, and he said, "That's the best Sauvignon Blanc I've ever tasted from New Zealand." And how much have you got? And I said, "No, three hundred cases. We'll probably drink fifty. <laughs> um, he said he'd take the lot. 
and um, we gave each other a nudge and a wink and upped our price um, and um, he accepted and um, we got I think you know $12 something a bottle for it which back in those days was unheard of that's good right now it was, yeah it's like <laughs> probably more than most people are getting now yeah. seven year block so yeah, it was uh, phenomenal, and, um, and and so we we left that meeting on a on a, on, a, on a real high, and went to a famous restaurant called the VBG in Parnell, and proceeded to drink the profits immediately, <laughs> and uh, we we acquainted ourselves with good French champagne. Yes, <laughs> finally. So yeah, that was the start of Sacred Hill, and and then the next year, um, Mark's brother David came back from um, his uh, diving in the Persian Gulf where he'd been working, and. He joined the business, and he, David has a very good business sense, um, and he is um, yeah, managing director to today of a much larger company. Um, so that's it was very humble beginnings, and we all flattered together in an old college up there, and uh, and um, yeah, chased um, chased our passion for wine every night. Yeah, no, that's it's one yeah. of those good. Uh interesting hawks bay stories of brands that you know it seems like everyone has that different wave of of when things were changing in hawks yeah. bay yeah and uh you mentioned vital earlier everybody i talked to i've worked in there i've worked yeah. in that cellar you know it's like most winemakers uh, have worked there yeah and exactly. one, you yeah. know you gotta go do your, your vintage yeah. there you know you might be weird and go work at ask instead or yeah, something you know that's right. one yeah. of those you're gonna you're yeah. gonna do and uh it's it's pretty yeah. cool to yeah, uh, and that's part of what I'm, I'm trying to gather is a little bit of that that history of kind of how we got to this point as mm. well. And uh, yeah, so that's cool. And now, which is actually really, I mean, that's all well and good and great. And you're obviously, you know, and how we met and all that. But uh, one of the more interesting things is now you're taking a bit of a leap and doing yeah. doing this new project, which yeah, is exciting, yeah. man. It's yeah. really cool. It is exciting. And, um, you know, I'm still at Sacred Hill, um, you know, part-time consulting. And, and But the business there is, has got to a, um, you know, stage where, um, you know, it's large, there's a lot of volume growth in Marlborough. Um, the fine wine stuff in Hawke's Bay has gone really well for us. Um, but I was just looking for, I guess, a segue into um, the next chapter. Yeah, and, totally. And at, yeah. at my tender age... Um, of I just I've just turned fifty seven, no secrets there. Was was I wanted to sort of have a, a small hands on project where I just did everything again. Yeah. You know I didn't want to be compartmentalized um, for the rest of my days. I felt I really wanted to, yeah, be very hands on in both the you know the the, vin, the vineyard sense, the the wine making, the the marketing, you know, the brand development, the graphics. Yeah, well, I mean you're clearly thing, yeah. a guy who's like. Uh, and this word keeps coming up is authentic, you know, not just mm. because you can talk it, but like I said, I've passed you in the winery. You're not stuck up in the office, like no. doing paperwork. You're a guy who's in it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember seeing you a couple of years ago and you were literally neck deep in a, yeah. in a foot <laughs> stomp down yeah. and inside yeah. a two ton fermenter. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Tactile wine you know? making, mate. Yeah. I love it. Um, so, yeah. you know, it's almost like, uh, fight or flight you know yeah. like you gotta you know yeah. uh like you said the next chapter uh you gotta you're a mover you know what i mean you gotta do something and and uh i think it's really interesting what you're doing particularly that you're growing all the way back to chardonnay which you yes. you mentioned earlier and i think it's what a great varietal to just start oh, with just and, and yeah. it just can be yeah uh, and it's what we're doing in hawks bay and i i always have said time and time again when i moved to new zealand that varietal was reinvented for me. Mm. I, I, 
you know, I certainly drank some good Burgundy and some interesting California stuff, drank some bad California stuff. And, uh, yeah. and you know, and, you know, there's a wave of Australian ones that came in when I was running my family's place and all that. Mm-hmm. But when I got to New Zealand, I was just blown away because I just kept coming across different ones, different regions, different styles. And these were fruit. I mean, there's fruit from our Chardonnay here that is just unlike no other place in the world. It really is amazing. It responds to the, and and it's, in some ways it's tough because geez, everybody, every wine region almost practically makes Chardonnay Mm -hmm. and they always have a little, at least a little block. Some focus on it obviously as what they do. Uh, so it can be tough in international markets, but it's like, if you, t- I mean, even the punters are like, well, just give me a shard. You know, they yeah. know they're going to get quality. And if you go around the tasting rooms all around Hawks Bay, if you don't make a good Chardonnay, you just, yeah. just not, forget it. Not in the game. <laughs> You're not the yeah. game, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a variety that lends itself to creative winemaking. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of options of how you can, how you can, um, guide your your juice through into into the finished product with uh, all, all sorts of of options it's really diverse in in terms of its ability to to handle oak or you know i'm working with eggs and things but also you know sulfur no sulfur malo no malo um there's there's a lot of levers there's a lot of a, a, a lot of thinking goes into making great chardonnay so you're doing you know? a couple different so yeah. at this so you're doing a few different which what are your Three line or three is it three? Yeah, I've got three? four now. Four. I've got four Hawks Bay Chardonnays. So just qu- quickly to go through those, you know, Fat and Sassy's um, my everyday um, wine. It's made in uh, in barrel, and I bought a large format, um, you know, nine thousand liter oak vat for that, with a built-in batonnage. It's nice. my new favorite toy. It's Not awesome, <laughs> uh, so I can properly batonnage this lovely big French oak vat. Um, so that's going for a bit of a modern take on an old school Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that no one wants to go back to, you know, quite the fat buttery Chardonnays uh, or, or residual sugar driven Chardonnays of the past. So approachable, yeah. but interesting. But yeah, a exactly. A little zing to it still. Yeah. 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 And, and I call it my cafe wine because it's like your lunchtime option um, with or without food, sessionable. But in actual fact, it's found a real niche in the fine dining restaurants around the country because it, it sits at a good price point. By the glass. And, and it's yeah. by the glass in some of New Zealand's most um, acclaimed five-star or you know Michelin equivalent uh, restaurants, which is, which is quite nice. So it kind of cuts across um, the genres. And then up, 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 upwards from that, um, yeah, the golden egg is, is, is made in concrete egg fermenters. Um, and that's an innovation that I'm proudly brought to New Zealand um, as New Zealand made concrete eggs. Um, and Where are I'm, they being made? I'm making them in Hastings just locally. Awesome. Yeah. So um, three years of development with uh, a concrete guy there, Josh Winters. And um, we have, you know, there's a lot of broken eggs goes into <laughs> making a, a good concrete egg fermenter, I can tell you, mate. It's yeah, like an omelette. Okay. You can't do it without breaking eggs. And yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of um, concrete rubble lying in the yard where we uh, we tried and failed, but we've got it right now, and um, you were knocking out some some pretty smart um, concrete eggs and without I, without giving away any trade secrets. I mm-hmm. mean, the trick is obviously you can only use certain. Uh, it's in the it's type in the, of the concrete when, yeah. when you have a food product in there. Yeah, exactly. We've tried different um, cements um, and different uh, mixes of, of of sands and um, and stones. 
um, different compaction, different porosity. So there's a, there, there's a lot of R&D goes into figuring it out because no one who's making eggs now is going to tell you nothing no, about no, how to do it. No, no. So you have to figure it out for yourself. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they all worked, but um, you know you don't want them coming back with, with any faults. So we've, we've, we've ironed that out now and they're looking great. And I'm really enjoying a completely alternate style of Chardonnay. It's unlike any other way of making wine in an egg. It doesn't, it, there's no resemblance to other wine making tools that are in existence. Yeah. What, yeah. What's the, uh, so how do you trial it without, you know, fucking one of your wines yeah. or something? To dive know? in, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess there wasn't any real risk of, 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 of fucking it up in, in the sense that I'm not going to let it oxidize or get volatile. And there's no risks associated along those lines. It's really just stylistically um, totally different. And it was really more, the risk was whether or not uh, the palate profile was going to be appealing to to, mm. your, to your Chardonnay drinker, who perhaps is more used to oaked Chardonnays. Um, but that's proven to be you know, really successful for oh, us. Oh, yeah, I don't and think it's I just, have a problem with it's that. It's just so sexy on the palate. It's mm. just sublime. And and there's a there's a purity of fruit and a, a textural silkiness that is beguiling. And, and, you know, people just love it. So... We're, we're very comfortable now that we're on to um, a new genre for, for New Zealand Chardonnay that, that is going to be sustained and it's interesting. Um, but along the way, we've learned that, you know, a little bit of oak you know, is a very helpful um, addition to an egg-made Chardonnay. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not one of these, you know, I'm 100% yeah, yeah, do or die purist. Uh, it's a winemaking tool. Um, and we've found um, our experience is one barrel per egg is the perfect sort of um, new compliment. like new French one oak. new French oak barrel yeah because you know wines either rely on acid or tannin mm. for their structure depending on the variety um, you can think about you know they they need one or the other or both um, but usually one or the other Pinot relies on acid and and Cabernet and Merlot rely on tannin you know mm -hmm. so you need something and and with Chardonnay um, you know without oak. Um, and with the soft textural um, yeast-derived um, creaminess of the palate, it could be a blob if yep. you didn't um, you know, manage it well. So we found that that addition of, um, it's a subliminal amount of oak. Like I can't um, separate it out when I'm smelling and tasting the wine. You can't actually pick the oak. But what it does do is it gives a little bit of tannin structure to the wine. So it draws out the length and then the acidity rides on the back of that. So you get a longer tail on the wine and, and a slightly more lifted aromatic. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah, it just, cool. it just, it's very subtle, um, but it's a, better, it's a better blend with that little bit of, uh, of oak contribution, which ends up, I think if you do the ratios, it's about 12% of the wine has been in barrel. It's quite low. Just going through my head thinking, well, if this podcast venture does anything for me, it should be for wine swaps. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, I come <laughs> unprepared. We can do that. No, no, we totally, yeah, it's all right, it's okay. So, uh, so that's the second wine. The third wine is um, is a new one I've just released this year, and and this is um, it's actually was born out of an idea. Um, it, it, in some ways, it's a classic Hawke's Bay barrel fermented Chardonnay. We've called it Heartwood because I have this love affair with um, good quality French oak that goes back a long way. I just have immense respect and admiration for the craft, the art, the history. Um, you know of, of oak. It's just it's a it's a neat story and it's a it's a real true you know 
true story that that is just so well done by the French government in terms of managing the resource and the individual craft of the coopers. So heartwood is it refers to the you know, the fine oak selection we get, the heartwood of the tree. Um, and I'm going to use that as a segue into um, an educational um, program, I guess, around what I'm going to call the tale of two tuas, because all winemakers bang on about their tuar. Mm. You know, we've all heard the stories, and that's great. But if you if your wine has rested, you know, in the French oak barrel or an American oak barrel f- for twelve months, well, are you only telling half the story? Yeah, totally. You know, the other terroir deserves mention, mm. and and more than mention, it actually deserves proper explanation. Well, it's yeah, almost refreshing to hear you say that because when I first started delving into you know making wine, and you know I would have people. Uh, you know, I'm just making these little batches and bringing them back to the States and people saying, well, like, what oak are you using? And I, and I would just, you know, for like the Malbec, for instance, I would mm. just say, I'm not using any new oak. I'm just mm. using all because I'm so scared to death of it. I don't understand it. Um, you know, and I, I've only in the, really, in the, and I'm doing 10, you know, 13 vintages all up, 10 here in New Zealand. And, and probably in the last two years, I've just started to understand like cooperages a little more. Yeah. And, and that's with, you know, really trying. And, and really trying to understand like what each one does for each varietal yeah what that one does in certain years and other, and, and it's just it's so complex. it's end it's endless endlessly complex and and yeah. it's like you know you just kind of have to pick away and go with it you do and and just hopefully pick quality yeah and then see if it works yeah and and then see if you like it and then it still could be three four years <laughs> before yeah, yeah. you really understand what happened <laughs> you know it's a patient game but yeah so I mean New Zealand's been well um, well serviced by the, the French cooperage industry. In fact, we were over serviced, and there was just too many cooperages. There was, mm. you know, like two a week calling on trying to sell us barrels, and we ended up with at Sacred Hill. We ended up with so many coopers, and and yet you're only really trying, you know, a few of that cooper's barrels, tip of the iceberg in terms of what each of them potentially can offer, and it ended up being a bit of a dog's breakfast. So, I I pretty at Sacred Hill, I figured out probably about 15 years ago that, that that it was we were just too broad and we were there and thereby we were nothing in some ways yeah yeah totally. so I, I just rigorously started culling mm. so any barrel that gave me sappiness greenness um any off characters delete yeah. and and delete the supply don't come back uh, i became ruthless um and so i threw out pretty much all of the big names one after another because they sent us barrels that weren't seasoned well enough Mm-hmm. And I figured out that that was really the issue, is that when, when the big guys are meeting uh, increasing global demand for oak, they shortcut the seasoning process. Yep. So when they say two years air dried, mm. really? I don't get that on some of these barrels that are coming in. They're pretty sappy and planky. I'm thinking, no, that's more like one year or 18 months, but it ain't two years. And then this, they started sending um, three-year air dried barrels. Um, you, know, you pay more for and, I, and they would they look really good. And so I figured out that the seasoning is 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 the single most critical qualitative. Yeah, how they stack the staves. Yeah. Where, are they inside? Are they under the exactly. roof? Exactly. You know, it is. It is. I I liken it to the ripening process mm. of the wood versus the grape. That the the oak is all harvested in the same manner, and that it's of a, a growing tree. It's fr- it's young. It's sappy. Um, and it needs to it needs to mature. It needs to ripen. It needs to lose its aggressive tannins. Um, and it needs to be properly seasoned. 
and, and how that's done, where it's done, and for how long are, are, are very critical yeah, to the yeah. total quality of the barrel. So um, I now only buy from coopers that have um, really, really good self-control in terms of what they release from the wood park. Mm. But if it says three years, it is three years minimum. Um, and, and we get sweet, savory characters and, you know, and, and oak that I can trust. What, and yeah. going back to the sort of global demand thing, I had a, we have a, a mutual uh, cooperage salesman that we know who made an interesting point to me that uh, he said, uh, you know, I was talking about a certain barrel I wanted to use on the Pinot. Uh, and he said, and, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing or a good thing. He just said, you know, with the global demand, mm. Uh, they're getting into in the same way winemakers have gotten into single vineyard or yeah. uh, parcels and small parts. They're getting into these it's because they can't repeat what they've done yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> every year. So they're yeah. just saying, well, we have this single forest yeah. and, and it reminds us this soil, maybe clay soils on these oak trees. And it has mm. a, dis- and, and it, it's true mm. for mo- most of the time for the good cooperages that, you yeah. know, they're getting an expression out of that, that where normally it would all go into one, big lot they're kind of right. splitting off into little ones yeah, because they can't selections. they yeah. can't repeat yeah that yeah. that same you know maybe they only had one or two yeah uh you know styles but, of but barrels the other know. thing the, the thing about heartwood and this, this tale of two two is is this getting across to our consumers who are my most important people in the world are my consumers they're the ones who are going to you know keep yeah, me in a living absolutely is that so we're talking it, to now, man. It's, it, yeah, it's great because it's it, it's it's a it's a simple facts that 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 make them go wow. Like when you say the average age of a tree harvested for French oak barrels is 140 years, their jaws drop. Yeah, they go holy shit. Mm. Yeah, and then they put it in a park for three years out in the weather before they even start making the barrel. Their jaws drop a bit more. And, I think I think if people know, could see, I'm, I'm I, there's YouTube videos for everything, but if, I'm sure if they could see. A cooperage in action. Oh, I went to seg, Segal yeah. Moreau in, in yeah. Napa, and I was just like, you know, and I was a winemaker at that point, mm-hmm. and just to watch the main tradesman who he yeah. rotates every two weeks to the different section, and just to watch. I mean, this guy was, he may have been five foot six, but he was rock solid. Oh, he yes. could do anything his hands. Physical job. He ripped yeah. your arm right off your yeah. thing, and he. It's almost medieval, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they're building these barrels over fire. Yeah. You know, with steel and anvils and hammers <laughs> yeah. and. It's, it's, it's really, phenomenal. Really awesome. Yeah, so we are gonna we're gonna do that visually, Dan. We're gonna um, Richard Brimmer and I are heading over to France next year, and we're gonna go right to source to the into the forest, meet the lumberjacks. Um, we can follow. Um, I know that the barrels that I buy from Taranso, I can I can ID all the way back to a tree. Mm. Like it's it's we have a complete um, traceability traceability right yeah. back to to the to the tree that's purchased at auction. So. We can go right back. And so we're going to do that and get some great photos, uh, some great short videos, um, talk to the guys that are, you know, that, that their, their life is, is their craft of making barrels. That's awesome. And man. bring that back and put it up, yeah. put it up here for, for people to have a look at. Because, Information you know, is key too. And uh, you got the right guy in Richard. Yeah, Richard's awesome photographer and an awesome, um, you know, connector with people. So He is. He's, he's, uh, he yeah. puts people at ease. He's just a, yeah, a he's good great. guy. I need to talk to him again. And, and then, when you're, <laughs> then when you're doing a tasting with, a, you know, one of, your, one of your customers and your wine's, you know, we're talking premium prices um, by most people's you know budgets. It's you know thirty five, fifty five, sixty bucks a bottle, and when they when they know and understand the history of the oak, and and our particular selection process around which oak we use, 
they get it. They, they get why you're charging that price for the wine. It's not just inflated, you know, winemakers, marketing egos. It's actually genuinely, you know, built on high quality craftsmanship mm. from the vineyard all the way through to the cooperages. And and then, then suddenly it all connects for them. It makes sense. It comes together in their minds as being a, a high quality product. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I look forward to seeing that. Mm. And tasting it as well. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. that was three? That's Did you three. say the and fourth? Then, yeah, my top one is the, um, my single vineyard wine is the Skeetfield, um, which is a, a neat old, um, f- as far as New Zealand goes, I'd have to say it's a heritage block. It's old vine, dry farmed Mendoza Chardonnay. Awesome. And where do you find that? I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Everything's irrigated in this country, it seems. Even if it didn't need to be, it seems to have irrigation on it most anyway. Most of the time it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, most of the time it doesn't. So there's over-irrigation is a real issue out there. So... Yeah, the, here's a block that uh, was planted, um, you know, 26 years ago, um, and it's never been irrigated, and it never needed it, and it just is fantastic. The Where concentration. Is that? Where is that? It's just out of Fern Hill on the Taipei Road. Yeah. Um, and Sacred Hall used to source fruit from it years ago, and um, before the Reifman's Vineyard really kicked into production, and. I remember, I think it was a 2005. We won five trophies in that year from the Skifield Chardonnay. It would just we just won everything it went into. Won you know Australian um, wine state Chardonnay of the year, and um, Dennis and I had a great trip to Melbourne and partied out on that one. <laughs> and um, and then yeah, it sort of um, fell into different hands. And um, and when I started my own brand, I you know, Dennis is a very close friend. Uh, we do duck shooting opening day every year, and uh, the skeet shooting is a family tradition. And his uh, father and his uncle were New Zealand champions. Oh, cool! Um, hence the vineyard name. So I said, mate, I really, really need some of that old vine Mendoza to um, to to be my premium uh, yeah. position. So I've been uh, winkling it uh, bit by bit every year. I'm getting a bit more <laughs> <laughs> nudging in. Yeah, there's another unhappy winery out there somewhere, but. Um, but I'm building a, you know, a heritage story around um, a vineyard with integrity, with history, family history, uh, a deep connection, um, and, and exalted single vineyard status It's justified. And a, yeah. and a historic building too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all coming together into a, a neat Art Deco historic building. Yeah. I dare I yeah. ask when is there an opening? Yeah, date? September. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I think I, I'm giving myself plenty of time, I hope. Um, probably won't say that in August, but I think September will be open. Good. Um, well, you can do are you a soft opening. Yeah. Is that the plan? Yeah, no, we're, we're having a few parties in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then as part of that, I bought um, my, new, my, my newest um, winemaking tool um, is the wooden egg, the, the, the Tarantino ovum which is a thing of uh, enormous beauty. It's probably the most uh, beautiful piece of oak craftsmanship you'll ever see. It's incredible. Yeah. And so that, that'll be another, my fifth and final um, Chardonnay, um, yet to be determined in price and, uh, and brand name, but it'll be um, you know, positioned at a, at a super premium price point because it's a hugely expensive piece <laughs> of kit. <Yeah. laughs> um, and we've got the Skeetfield Dry Farm Mendoza in that. Um, so... Um with that uh, giant oak egg uh, will be sort of the first release, I would imagine, be pretty Eden heavily ex- oaked. In, yeah. Well, no, because it's um, it's a bigger volume. So yeah, it's like yeah. a large format barrel. Sure. So, no, it's, it doesn't have the impact of the barrique wood. So, but over time, yeah. it still would have less and less. Anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So. But you can always blend your some barrique ferment with, sure. with that if you want to. So there's plenty of options around that. But... It, it fermented beautifully. Um, it's real thick, uh, 65 mil thick oak staves. 
so which is like three times the, you know the, the a standard barrel so so how do you clean one of those things you got to climb inside well luckily with chardonnay you only have to do it once a year yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah I, I expect i'm going to find a uh, you know uh, a hamster that's uh you know you know, strap drawing. some brushes on it and send yeah. it in and wind it up you know <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be interesting we need a skinny cellar hand yeah yeah i was gonna say i've worked uh when i worked at unison i couldn't fit into their big uh, bodies <laughs> yeah, downstairs yeah. i was like sorry i'm too big you know well i think the problem <laughs> with me is i probably could get into this thing but i would never get out so uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then so, that, yeah that's I an expensive I, mistake i think there's a little, little bit of um sort of low low pressure hot water um cleaning from from through the top manway uh, to just to detartrate a bit but to really i think that um they're they're like they're, it's like a barrel a, a vat that builds up personality like like a person builds up interest in the you know in their character with layers and totally yeah, and yeah. You, you only really have to get it clean enough for the next ferment it, it should be empty for only a matter of days yeah um and then we'll put juice in it and you know there's nothing there's nothing cleanses like a ferment no exactly um, yeah. so yeah, there's a few tartrates left behind uh, uh yeah, that's, that's fine keep um, them full that's the idea yeah right? just keep it full and um and keep it healthy and and that's it so i think all we really need to do is uh yeah just get a bit of a bit of a washout and uh without having seen the space yet is it going to be the type of thing where you'll People, when they go to taste a wine, they, they're seeing the eggs right there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. very visual. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've created a, a, a barrel room that is a little bit of theater. Nice. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, visually quite stunning. Yeah. And the old, is it the old tobacco building? Yeah, it's yeah. an old tobacco building. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the old, well, people locally call it the old, the Rothmans building. Um, but it was the National Tobacco Company prior to that, uh, which was rebuilt after the earthquake in 1931. Um, so... You know, tobacco back in the 30s was so big yeah. and so profitable. They were they it was were medicine. They, <laughs> they were taking. I think it was. I've heard this is true. 350 million dollars a year profit out of this place. We're talking a million dollars a day oh was being made out of a tobacco factory in the 30s. So they were immensely wealthy businesses. So when they rebuilt after the earthquake, they built one kick-ass building. It's yeah, a yeah. meter deep concrete. Yeah. Throughout the whole the whole foundation, it's ten thousand square meters. The whole building. Wow. I've, only, I've got a part of it, a small part, but it's a meter deep concrete bed through the whole thing. And, it's not going and, and most of it, <laughs> um, you know, the New Zealand earthquake code has been dramatically, you know, upgraded with uh, various earthquakes, particularly Christchurch and Seddon recently. So the standards for building around uh, earthquake compliance have, have quadrupled. Well, the most of this building is is at a hundred percent of the current <laughs> latest. Yeah. code and it's built in 1931 so it's it's pretty special that's awesome yeah yeah and it's got that it's got a nice history and uh so we're we're, we're sort of keeping it an industrial um i guess industrial chic's a bit of a bandied expression but it's kind of a, an industrial um style um, well i, I was winery. just excited when i heard it because it's nobody's really doing it and uh mm. it needs to be done in the area and i think they'll probably be different versions of yeah. the trend you're setting now yeah, but so, yeah. you know there might be you know a nice like showroom modern one but i think you'll you will see yeah. some popping up uh, yeah over the you know over the the coming years because it's gonna work man i mean mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go hang out there and for people who are listening aren't from hawks bay if you come and you, you know you you got to go check out the, the tony's uh 
building and production also because that area of Napier is cool. I mean, yeah. it's like a different, yeah. it's Ahariri, it's the port, it's got some cool restaurants. It's just it's a renaissance a, of an industrial yeah, area. And, and so, you walk uh, around, it's yeah. gorgeous. We love, no, you know, you, you go up into the, the uh, like where Milk and Honey is yeah. and the oceanfront. You've just got this really cool area to walk around and uh, I think you've just pick, picked an awesome spot yeah, to do neat, it. It's a neat location. Yeah, you know, you'll get people yeah. just, oh, let's walk over there and do a tasting, you know. That's a novel idea to put a cellar door where the people actually are. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> believe it. I know. I've been screaming <laughs> that for years. So that's why I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm certainly not at the point now where I could do it. But if I did, that was exactly what I'd do. I wouldn't yeah. do it out in the middle out here, you know, because no, I, I don't have to because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm buying fruit like you, you know. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. I would just go into town and, you know, you see it and places like Napa and Sonoma and stuff. They Well, the drink driving you know, regulations are what they are and yeah. they, they needed to change. And, and so you, you relocate in a, in a geographically challenged area, then, you know, people, people are really struggle with that, with you know, trying to enjoy wine and then someone's going to have to be the sober driver. Yeah. And, you know, it's a bit of a drag. So, um, yeah, being in town is good because for most people, they can either walk there or walk home or if they take a taxi, it's like five bucks, you know. Yeah. Back to your hotel, or, or you do a staying. tasting and go to a cafe or a restaurant. Yeah, you afterwards, can you, you can know? carry on. Yeah, you can, yeah. You can kick on to get some food. That's what I so. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is. It's going to be good. Yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to to getting it open, and uh, we're doing the fit out now, the hospitality fit out section. So it's all custom made stuff. Before mm. I let you go, what? Uh, Give me some websites and things like that, and best way to find you. And yeah, sure. You. Our website is um, tonybishwines.co.nz, um, and Instagram where we're pretty big on. Yeah, uh, tonybish.wines, um, and that's probably the you know the, the easiest way. And uh, the, the website has email contact details. Um, and yeah, we're not exporting much just yet. Um, Melbourne, uh, we, we've, we've got a, a at Armadale Cellars, a wonderful retailer there. And, and we're hopefully about to send the first stuff over to London. Um, awesome. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, they always seem to support New Zealand in the early days. They so do. Yeah, exactly. Brands. Yeah. And, uh, so that's good. Well, good yeah. luck, man. I'm uh, I'm excited to support and Thanks, drink Dan. it. You know. Yeah. And uh, talk to you soon again. Okay, man. Maybe next time we'll do like a forum with like seven of us and get big arguments. And <laughs> yeah. This was too nice and easy. <laughs> <laughs>
next time, next up, uh, we start the Gillick Gravel series, and uh, so keep an eye out for that next week with viticulturist Ali Powry from uh, Villa Maria. Really interesting conversation, so stay tuned for that. See you guys. Cheers.